0: Why, hello there. This is Jonathan at pureandsimplebible.com. Thank you for joining me again on the podcast. I'm really excited to jump into some new series. This is my first episode that I'm recording post-corona crisis. And so, uh, you know, in some of the previous episodes that I have released, I haven't talked about it a lot. And I really don't plan on talking about it a lot in this episode or maybe many in the future either. My mindset as far as what this ministry is about is uh, basically summed up in be calm and carry on. Yes, I do pray frequently and I think about frequently a lot of the issues that are surrounding us, but I really want Pure and Simple Bible to be a place where we can go and learn from the Bible together regardless of what's going on in current events. So, If you're at home and sheltering in place, please continue to listen to this, and there's a lot of other good resources out there as well. Um, This week, I invited Timothy Ballard to come in, and instead of me interviewing him, we reversed it. He interviewed me. I have a a Bible study called Use the Rocks You Have, How to Build a Family Altar, and uh, it's something that I've been preaching a lot lately, and I've got a whole lot of good feedback, so I wanted to share it with you too, but Uh, Timothy's going to take on the role of questioner, and I'll be the one who's being questioned. Let's jump into the conversation, shall we? Thank you, Timothy, for coming in and for doing a little, getting out of your comfort zone, right, where you're going to be the one asking questions and I'll answer, because I've wanted to share this presentation, um, and I preach it everywhere I go. I've used it recently in a video I've done, but for those that like the podcast, I'd like to give it to them. So instead of giving you my notes and you're memorizing the facts, I thought we'd just flip it. So you're the questioner, and I am the one being questioned. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I don't know if the whole me memorizing thing would have worked out okay. (laughs) I remember you, I think it was January 12th, January 20th, I think you gave this lesson at home, Mm -hmm. and up until that point, okay, so I've... I've got a five year old. Right. A three year old. And now we have a four week old.
0: Right. At the time um, your wife was just super pregnant. That's right.
1: And we our family altar was still unassembled.
0: Okay. The rocks were scattered. Scattered. That's right.
1: <laughs> and um it has been uh something that I knew was healthy, but Um, obviously needed to build my own, and we we might talk about this a little bit more. But it seems like most families build it later than they. There's always that uh, conviction of why did I wait? Right, and (laughs) I think you know if you go back to say, oh well, I had to wait till I had one kid at least before Uh issues start getting built, Uh and we'll talk about that a little bit more about how critical it is for even people that are. Even single or, uh, you know, a young couple, how important it is to get this pattern set up in the altar belt early. So tell us about um, what we have in the Old Testament that directs us to this idea of building an altar, a family altar.
0: Right. Um, So the concept of altar is one you can kind of maybe pass over in your casual Bible reading. But it does come up a lot in the Bible. And that was where I wanted to start with this, because I, after a while in some studies I was doing with some other people, I saw the altar as becoming a lot more meaningful than it was just in my, you know, casual Old Testament reading. But kind of like you were saying, um, we wait until, not that it's too late, but we're waiting until the need arises. And, you know, today's, we're recording on a Sunday. I just preached it this morning, so that's why it's kind of on my mind. But the idea of preparing before the storm instead of waiting for the storm to batten down the hatches. So that's Matthew chapter seven. But uh, in my own home, like you, I thought I couldn't preach on children until I had children. And then I had kids and I was like, well, I can't preach on them till they're older. And then they got older. I've, I've got a 10 and eight and a six year old. And yet I still feel really nervous to preach on sermons that are uh, family centered. But last year in 2019, I preached on uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It was just an expository study on children, obey your parents in the Lord. And I got a lot of good feedback from it, but there was a lot of questions about, well, what what do we do? Like, what do we actually do Mm -hmm. to do that training and lifting up? I don't feel qualified to talk about it, but the altar analogy kind of gave me motivation and I've been working on this and studying on this for about nine months off and on because I felt so unworthy when I wrote it that I just kind of wrote it and then it sat for, and collected dust for six months or so. Anyway, long story long, this is hard being on this end. I like being the questioner because I can yeah feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I can say things and then somebody else takes over. Um, keep going. I, you're just keep looking keep going. at me I'm like, do I, do I <laughs> shut up now? Anyway, um, in the Old Testament, starting in the book of Genesis, you see patriarchs, whenever they've moved to different places, uh, just build piles of rocks called altars. I
1: remember, um, this might have been 10, 12 years ago, I remember Jerry Dickinson getting up at a meeting, and he talking about, I mean, in his wonderful way, talking about an Ebenezer. <laughs> Him referring to it, like, as a kid, I, d- I didn't understand that song. Like, what is Ebenezer Scrooge doing in this <laughs> gospel song? And then he went on to clarify it. Right. Um. So, uh, tell us of some of the examples. You know, I, I'm being reminded from your lesson, it's kind of coming to me now, of how you refer to it as just a pile of rocks. And they weren't adorned with any kind of... Right. They weren't improved in any way. Right. And I sit here, you know, I'm kind of scratching my head, and I'm thinking, well, wait, what about the tabernacle? What uh-huh. about the temple? These guys were imbued with right. incredible ability uh-huh. to... I don't know, carve into, I mean, so why, why don't there, how come these things weren't embellished or given any more kind of
0: finesse? Sure. Good question. Um, I'll answer what I can. In Genesis chapter 31, 52, what, it's a great example of how patriarchs were building them just wherever they camped. What's really neat is they would do two things. Usually they would, whenever they found a place that had enough water or, you know, if it didn't have enough water, but there was a lot of pasture, they would set up camp and they'd build their altar. If there wasn't enough water, they would dig a well. So I liked that concept of Mm. they were always digging deep for water and they were always setting up something to honor the Lord. Um, They used their altar. We'll talk about uses in a minute. But, you know, these ancient altars kind of had a a similar function that they were the connecting point between that patriarch and his family. He's serving kind of as an intercessor mediator type uh, and God. In Exodus, it talks about how they... uh, couldn't be carved or decorated. That's Exodus 20, verse 25 and 26. And uh, the, the concept is that you can't make it any better than what God wanted. So God asked for a pile of rocks. You use a pile of rocks. You don't put jewels in it or gold or, you know, whatever decorations you want. And you use whatever rocks you have. That's kind of the the title, you know, the 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 point that I repeat again and again is use the rocks you have. And these patriarchs, if they're in the desert, they're going to use desert rocks. If they're in the pasture land they're using pasture rocks and it was good enough so any altar was good enough if it was god's way and from the heart and just a side note um i know in the tabernacle they're going to have a little bit of a different altar the bronze altar but even in that time and especially in the temple the temple was a a pile of rocks a pile of dirt i think Mm. that was mounded up and then they built around that mound so it kind of carries over some of the elements but these ancient altars the ones in the patriarchal age are kind of what we're focusing on in in the study today okay so a pile of rocks that these ancient people stacked is that it that's it as far as what it is but like so many things it's more than that you know is the communion just a loaf of unleavened bread and and a cup of grape juice of course it's those simple things but it symbolizes more and so, yeah, that's, I think, a, a great pivot into what let, let's talk about what they meant, what they were used for uh, throughout the Old Testament.
1: OK, so how long are we talking? This sounds like it's going to be a bit of a, a slow burn. We're going to do some <laughs> chewing on
0: this. Yes. Yes, we are. Um, the, you know, we, we, we spoke about families in the introduction. And then here we are now talking about this pile of rocks. What's the connecting point? Well, like you've just suggested, we do need to kind of chew on it some in order to appreciate it fully. So, I have five different uses of these ancient altars. I feel like if we talked about them, it'll be helpful to when we transition over to family to see how those similar uses, uh, I guess, function in the family. Okay, so let's start with the first one. What's the first one that the Bible records for us? Okay, the the, the first recording of the altar is in Genesis eight verse twenty. And it's about Noah. He comes out of the ark. He builds an altar and offers burnt offerings on it to the Lord. So you have this um, a mediator or a priest type person. You've got the altar and then you've got a sacrifice. And so anytime that that happens, that that pattern repeats itself, there's the, the person, the priest type, the sacrifice type and the altar type. And they will find their fulfillment in the New Testament. But uh, as we go in the ancient altars, we kind of see some similar things at the beginning, especially about, number one, blood sacrifice. That's that's the primary reason, blood okay. sacrifice, is uh, we want to build this pile of rocks so that our patriarch, our leader, can butcher animals who are innocent for the sins of guilty people.
1: Now, you know, you I uh, this is one of the things I remembered from the lesson was how this was not some kind of clean crisp thing. You know, at the end of the day, <laughs> right. this thing wasn't still a nice I've gone on some hikes and especially like if you go to Enchanted Rock or I've been in the Sierra Nevada's where you're kind of just hiking on a bald granite right thing. And I think people do it as a way to kind of show that they've been on the trail. They'll make the little totem, right? Uh-huh. They'll take it might be three rocks, it might be, you know, 25 and they'll make the little pile of rocks. And I think in one way it helps people navigate the trail when there is no trail to carve or whatever. I like that. And so those are kind of nice and clean, but these didn't look like that.
0: No, you know, obviously we don't have any today that survive, but we do have some from some of the later times in Israel that have survived. So you can go and Google, you know, ancient altars and see the way they are. But they do kind of make a tabletop or just a mound top so that a sacrifice could be on it. And there's enough space for it to be burned. But that's the key. I mean, this thing, these things were covered with blood. Right. I mean, the, the blood of these animals was spilling right. out. Right. I, I killed two deer for the first time this past December, and we uh, field-dressed them and quartered them, and the amount of blood that comes out of that was, you know, enough blood for me. But imagine putting a little sheep or a goat or whatever on this thing, and, and you're doing it continually. And so... You've got Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5 are some great scriptures where they're talking about burnt offerings and what's all you know, put in there for it, the, these atonement offerings, et cetera, and it's just a ton of blood. And so I, that's a great way to start just by saying this was the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the altar was the place where the blood sacrifice could happen. Okay, but God certainly
1: had other ones. Oh, yes. Give us, give us some more.
0: Yes, um, as time goes on, uh, Leviticus chapter 2 and 3, uh, they could be thanksgiving offerings where if you were just really excited or devote, uh, wanted to show your devotion to God and you're thankful, these thanksgiving offerings, these peace offerings, you could bring, you could bring grain and offer a, a peace offering. And so, yeah, it was a place of blood sacrifice, but it starts to transition into a place where, you know, you're you're coming into God's presence and you're thankful to be there as well as wanting to atone for sin.
1: I'm thinking about Um, I still reflect back on our children of Israel study and we just finished Exodus and I'm thinking about um, in Joshua chapter four uh, when the children of Israel finally get to the east side of the Jordan River. Mm -hmm. There's the, um, the waters are parted miraculously and they pass through the Jordan and uh, come up on the west side into Canaan. Right. And uh, I'm thinking about the, uh, the altar that, they built there.
0: Yeah, they they used the word altar, but it serves a different purpose. Now it looks in my opinion, it probably looks similar. It's gonna be a little bit different. You used the concept of totem earlier, and I've imagined that it probably was more like a totem than a table or a mound, because it was only twelve rocks. Each tribe was commanded by the Lord to pick up a rock out of the riverbed and make an altar. It uses the word altar. So, you know, we call it that. But we see a, a, a change in its function, whereas in the early, the ancient, the ancientest of altars, <laughs> they were the primary for blood sacrifice for Thanksgiving. But you get into the Mosaic covenant where they do have the bronze altar and they have the place where people could come. And so these ancient altar, these rock piles take on a new meaning and it's more about reflecting. And so example for this one, uh, this is a monument designed for inquiry where future generations could come, they're going to see this massive totem of, of 12 rocks. Maybe it's one pile, maybe it's two or three, and they're kind of stacked. Who knows? But the Bible records for us in Joshua 4 that when future generations come and they inquire, why is this here? You could say, ah, because the power of God. He, he allowed us to miraculously cross the, the Jordan River. So, you know, it's an altar, but it served a different purpose. Super important.
1: I'm thinking about our relatively young country and We have these now that still stand centuries later. Right. Um, Washington, D.C. was laid out by a French guy named L'Enfant, and who actually came and fought in the Revolutionary War. He stayed. Washington employed him to kind of plan out D.C. And D.C. is laid out as a garden city where it's Mm. avenues. And, you know, one of the most popular kind of terminations of one of those avenues, or it's kind of it's the monument in the middle is the Washington Monument. Right. And in a very kind of uh, monumental way, to use that word to describe itself, I mean, the Washington Monument is just, it's stone, mm-hmm. you know, piled up together yeah. with a lot of precision. Right. But, you know, we look at that and we think we think all the way back, you know, to the beginning of uh-huh. whenever, um, you know, this country was founded and what was um, – done to make it happen so yeah we get the idea of
0: memorials and let me say this just on that notion it's intriguing that every culture seems to pile rocks from Mm -hmm. the egyptians i mean what are the pyramids they're just a pile of rocks Mm -hmm. they've i mean obviously they've done it better than (laughs) (laughs) they've done it better than probably any other civilization but in the aztecs and their you know structures that they built what are castles Yep. Every civilization up until modern ingenuity when we could have different resources the strongest thing the the most powerful memorial is going to be or our defense is going to be rock.
1: So this one that one seems like a very healthy kind of purpose for that one. Mm-hmm. Um but in the same book of Joshua didn't there was another altar that was erected that it seemed like it might have been a bad idea at first, right?
0: <laughs> yes, there is a great lesson. I say this every time I preach this sermon. I'm hoping somebody, you know, jots it down as a note. But I really think a great lesson on jumping to conclusions would would be found in Joshua 22. Um, so Joshua 22 has kind of a a dual purpose of what their altar was for. Uh, so after their, the, the tribes conquered the promised land at the end of Joshua, the two and a half tribes who were living on the eastern side cross over. So they pass by the monument of inquiry, cross back to their people and their farmlands on the other side, and they build an altar on the other side. It uses the word altar. I imagine it's probably similar to the, what's on the western bank. So now they've got on the west and on the east. As soon as they're done, the Westerners, the majority of the folks catch wind of it and they immediately blow the trumpets for battle and they're going to go wipe them out because they think oh, they've built this pagan altar, right? Thankfully, they send some, a delegation ahead and the delegation is like, what in the world are you doing? To which the Easterners reply, I'm going to read it for you in Joshua 22, verse 28. In the future, if it happens that your children say that we don't belong to Israel, then our children can say, look, our fathers who live before us made an altar. That altar is exactly like the Lord's altar at the holy tent. We don't use this altar for sacrifices. This altar is proof that we are part of Israel. And so this altar is an altar of uh, witness that they're Israelites. It's also an altar of unity. That's kind of the fifth purpose in my in my sermon. You know, you've got blood sacrifice, thanksgiving, inquiry witness and unity, this concept that we're all in it together. And when we look at that altar, we're reminded that we're all in it together. Verse 34 says, The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it was a witness between us and the Lord. So, I mean, are they just a pile of rocks? Obviously not, because when they built them, they were meant to communicate these national and family uh, bonds that they could have just by looking at a pile of rocks. Side note,
1: I will never cease to be amazed by the ebb and flow of their vigilance. <laughs> and <laughs> <Yes>. how, <laughs> I mean, re- man, they really come with a lot of muster. Right. And then, you know, a book later, a chapter later, we see a, a different kind of sentiment. Okay, so that's a lot of great... Examples from the Old Testament. Give us a relevant New Testament parallel as we kind of keep sure. on moving.
0: Sure. So, you know, for those of you that joined this thinking, hey, I, we're supposed to be learning about the family. Right. And, and I need to know how to improve my family. We are getting there. But it it would be I would be remiss if we didn't at least mention the primary New Testament application. And that's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 through 15. Um, I'll read just a couple of verses. Hebrews 12, verse 10 says, we have an altar, but, uh, you know, that's, you know, <laughs> right off the bat, here's the connection. And, uh, we have an altar from whom, which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, you know, so he's making the parallel. Mm -hmm. Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So the the cool thing about this New Testament parallel, it's its own sermon. In this one, I wanted to focus on family. But someone could take this exact thought and then expand it on how Jesus is the altar, Jesus is the sacrifice, and Jesus is the high priest. He Mm -hmm. takes on all three elements of the New Testament system. So just like in Genesis 8, when Noah, he was the first one uh, to, but he only served as one thing. He served as the priest type. In its fulfillment, Jesus fulfills all three. He's altar. He's sacrifice. He's priest.
1: Wow. Okay. So family altar. We're gonna we're gonna shift our focus towards the family.
0: Are we going to focus on the family? Am I allowed I, to say? I, is that a trademark? That? <laughs> trademark.
1: Okay, so tell us, we've had in mind this whole time, looking at the physical altar, and are you expecting, are you kind of offering that there should be this physical thing that we each construct?
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, A thousand times no. Can can we please do (laughs) so? Yes, I... Uh, didn't leave. I didn't talk about this in the initial version that I gave. at did county, and I did have someone come up that was like, "Wait, am I supposed to be putting something in my living room?" So I've really made sure since then to emphasize what it's not when I talk about family altar. Um, the family altar is not a physical location. It's not a pile of rocks you need to put in your living room. And it's funny because I said that at one place, and I had a guy come up afterwards and go, "Yeah, I really liked that." Could I at least get a little rock and like put it by my bed, you know, as a <laughs> as a reminder. And I was, you know, I get it as far as having things that remind us of things. But let me just say there is nothing physical about our altar as far as looking like a rock. So it's better to just do the practice than mm-hmm. to have a totem. Um, it's also here's one more for you. It's not a silver bullet. So yeah, we're gonna talk about building our altar, getting our family kind of centered on Christ. But I know a lot of great families that raise children to the best of their ability, do everything right. But because scriptures like Ezekiel 18 talk about free will and everybody has the ability to choose for themselves, it is entirely within the realm of of reason that somebody of their own free will can have been raised around the family altar and still choose to leave the church. So Mm -hmm. Just a word of encouragement, especially to our older folks who maybe have raised children or they're not in that active phase. You know, if you had a child who you did everything right and they still left, it's not your fault. And you shouldn't hold on to that guilt. And for those who are younger, you know, the the fear that I have, maybe you and others of our, our own children, you know, we don't want to mess it up. We want to get it right. No. The 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 comfort should be in. The free will of it that i'm going to build this experience for my family i'm going to do my best and then they're going to stand before god based on what they do we have to be consistent that way mm-hmm. and if we're not you know then we're not true to the gospel we have to be true to the gospel and that everybody gets to choose if they want to be saved or not mm-hmm. and, and one more thing is if you're not building your family altar and your kids go astray then repent And I'm not asking for a pound of flesh, but I am asking you to be serious that if you didn't take your charge seriously, repent. And then you still have time to reach out to your grown children, to your to your grandchildren and and help them build their family altar. Awesome. That's what it's not. Yeah.
1: So not a physical location. Right.
0: It's a mindset. Mm -hmm. Plus practice. Mindset plus practice. Mindset plus practice. It's more than a mindset. It's more than practice. If you only have the theory, you never do anything. And that's a lot of us are really good at theory. I'm really good at theory. If you only have practice without a proper mindset, you're a Pharisee. You're doing things, you know, like you're checking off boxes. And so it's the mindset and practice of consistent interaction between your family and God.
1: And so to maybe bring people a little bit closer, maybe some people are have constructed this idea in their head. and They're like, I still don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> You could also call this Bible time. Yes. Family devotional, yes. family worship. Right. And you can choose to call it. Yes. And, and we'll talk about this more. It's going to look different for every family. Uh-huh. And you're not going to, you know, especially, you know, <laughs> I remember you saying when you gave it to Denton County, there might be, you know, the six month old, 12 month old that's crawling around. You can't expect that little baby right. to have the same, uh-huh. you know, uh,
0: focus and devotion as your twelve-year-old. Right now, you're you're you are commenting on the great theme of this study, which is use the rocks you have. Is you're not comparing yourself to others who are in other environments. You are you are using the rocks that you have right now to build your family altar. And yet, the 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 term itself, family altar, some people are unfamiliar with, or maybe they're uncomfortable with. I've had some who've been uncomfortable with the concept of family worship. They feel like worship is what the church does. And we could go down a rabbit hole with that. I use the term family worship. I'm comfortable with it. But if you're not, call it Bible time. Call it family time. Just whatever you call it, the concept is the same. It's mindset plus practice. Mindset plus practice of interacting with you and God. And just like one more piece of encouragement that you talked about. Every family is going to look different. And so to all you single folks out there, you need to be building your family altar right now. Don't wait till you're married to start building it. If you're newlyweds, you work on your family altar. You're not waiting to have kids. If you've got kids, you're not waiting until they grow up and can learn. Family worship may be singing Jesus Loves Me for the next three years of your life. (laughs) The cardboard Bible with, you know, uh, little David and Goliath, who look so cute as they're getting ready they to... They had the, a great time fighting <laughs> each other. <laughs> Versus some, you know, uh, 16, 18-year-old who you're having like a expository study in the book of Jude during your family altar time. So, yeah, it's going to look different. But even though our altars are being built differently with different kinds of rocks, we're all using the rocks we have to spend that time with God.
1: We've got five altar purposes. The blood sacrifice... Thanksgiving sacrifice, uh-huh. the moment of inquiry, symbol of unity and bearing witness. So some of those things still might seem a little obscure. How can how do those things really kind of tie into this uh, family worship? Give, give us some examples from the New Testament of how we can consider these things.
0: Sure. So I, I took scriptures that obviously are in their context, talking to specific churches about specific problems. And I took some of those encouragements and admonitions and they do. we're able to extrapolate them into this. They, they, they fit in context, but they can also be used to help reinforce this idea of a family altar. Because, you know, remember in ancient altars, like you just said, there was five purposes and that's what we want our family altar to be. I want my family altar primarily to be about blood sacrifice. Obviously, we're not killing any sheep in our family altar. What we are doing is making sure our kids... My wife and myself, all five of us in the Edwards are coming into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ, that our children who are not yet at an age of accountability are preparing Mm -hmm. their understanding that they're children of God right now, that if Jesus comes back, that, you know, they get to go to heaven because they're children of God. But mom and dad aren't. As far as naturally being that, that we fell into sin, we've chosen what is wrong, we've transgressed the law, and so we need the blood of Jesus to cover our sins. So, yeah primarily our family alter the the things that we do you know people might be still wondering what 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 are you actually doing we'll talk about that but we're working on mindset right now and the, the primary mindset is i need my family to know about the blood of jesus
1: what i would what i'm thinking about right now is this assurance that you're talking about that we want our children these little children to have um how important that is and we're going to talk about this. We can just talk about it now about the the inquiry memorial, sure, and these I think it might be a little naive to expect your kids some kids have this mind that they they're they're deep in thought, and then some kids are like, "My two boys that want to be ninjas and ninjas for Jesus <laughs> and other things. Well like, where's my snack every 30 minutes? okay. So some, but some kids do have this mind that is they're peering out the window, thinking about things at the age of six. Right. That, you know, some others might not be. And so it it seems a little naive for us to think that our children are just going to get there without some prompting. And so what I, what has been so beneficial in our family is having this time set aside that promotes this kind of thinking and these kinds of conversations, because, Yeah, they don't always happen when we're sitting in traffic because you're breaking up a fight or something. So, (laughs) like, the things that we want to be always thinking about, sometimes that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. And so what's been so helpful for us is giving them an outlet and a time to um, maybe get some of these questions asked and start talking about them because they... Are more foundational than we might think. Oh yes, in developing oh, that yes. child's faith, and it's this isn't just about the kids. While this is important of you know trying to get them excited about leading a prayer or a song uh-huh. one day in the corporate worship. Uh-huh. It's it can go a lot deeper than that, and actually yes. solidifying their own faith. And so that has been you know helpful for us. And in that same way, or maybe in a different way, what am I saying? Um, this developing of talents so i I would say this from personal experience it was last year that um shepherd and bear and krista got to go to the cedar creek camp and shepherd was not cool with doing up on stage (laughs) even though there's like 30 other kids up there not interested in bear was like yeah bring it on and there's kind of been this and same thing, like Sunday afternoons in between the two services, little boys leading songs and stuff, Shepard you know would maybe do it with Ryan or something, sure. but still was pretty hesitant, uh-huh. but now, I mean, like fingers crossed, right um it seems like there's this uh much more kind of there's much more interest and there's this eager participation yeah. in getting to have their song uh-huh. picked out like by dinner time right. and then have it ready for after and yeah. Um. Full disclosure: We, the Ballard family altar, is Monday nights. I'm not. It's not every. It's not seven nights a week after dinner. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but um, so that I would just that would be one encouragement from our per, personal experience that maybe, you know, this idea that a young a young man, and uh, there's there's great value to be had for the young ladies. I've got three boys, and so I can't help but that be sure what I think about a lot. Sure. But for them to hit you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and just say I'm going to go be a proficient song leader, prayer leader, and I'm going to start studying my Bible like a champ, mm-hmm. that's naive to think that all of a sudden something clicks in their head. It begins should begin early.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for today, and I hope you'll come back next week as Timothy and I continue this excellent conversation. I hope it is going okay for me to be on the other side of the microphone, so to speak, as the one being questioned. Uh, It was kind of a difficult conversation to get started only because I don't usually have that role. I'm usually the one who's asking the questions, so bear with me as I try to figure out how to uh, answer the questions instead of simply ask them. This series is going to Span across three different episodes. Timothy and I had some excellent conversation about it. Uh, We were in the recording studio for about an hour and a half, and so that for me is a great opportunity to break it into three parts. So you really got to come back over the next couple weeks, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. That way it downloads to your device automatically every Monday. And you can also go to the website, there's a lot of great information there, a lot of great stuff. For you to download and use. I also have a Facebook Live Bible study series that I've started over the past couple of weeks. It's really kind of consumed my work, but it's been so rewarding. You can find a link to it on the homepage of my website under the study resources to use while you're in the corona crisis. There's a link to my Facebook page, and if you're in the central standard time zone, Every weekday at 11 o'clock until our shelter-in-place order is over, I'll be doing some live stream Bible studies on Facebook. And you can also check those out after the stream is over at your convenience at any time. So check it out and continue to pray for me, for my work, and I will continue to pray for the Lord's people all over the world. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story. A story that is true. About a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.